Last time on My Fucked Up Family. Anyone that left the exclusive present always knew about the three Fs, which what was three Fs? fear, finance and families. Not what you were thinking. No. <laughs> Yes. That's a bit disappointing. Yeah. Anyway. Fear, finance and families. Yeah, me so you're fucked. You've got it. So, Joy, after what's quite clearly been a harrowing experience for you, you've made the break and left home. Uh, so off you go and that's confirmation that you've parted ways with yes. these people. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your life after that. Oh, God, you wouldn't want to know. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, the devil had got me. So, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> um, so, no, I just had a great time. I was making up for lost time. I'm very lucky some terrible things didn't happen to me, aren't I, when you come to think of it. I was so naive. I knew nothing about sex or anything. In fact, my first sexual account encounter, like, I don't know where I'd met this boy, it, you know, it's, just some, you know, snogging in a back seat. But he told me, like, he was must have been naive too. And I thought I hadn't actually lost my virginity, but I thought I had. See how, see how, and I was 25. Can you believe that? <laughs> um, you, so, you weren't quite sure what it entailed. No, I right, didn't. Okay. Literally. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was all that sort of thing. There was... Yeah, but the main thing, I was driven to try and contact the family I'd lost in England. Mm. I, I found old letters and found the latest um, addresses and things from my brothers and sisters in England. Actually, there's only three of them then. Mm. And so I wrote to them and I wrote to my eldest sister and told her I'd left the exclusive brethren. She was living in uh, Cornwall at, at the time. And she wrote back such a wonderful welcoming letter. Oh, you must come and visit us and all this. I mean, out of this fucked up family, mm. you've still got somebody that, that loves you. Well, at least you, well. had some, you, you had some reserves on the bench. and oh, I suppose. Yeah, and that was really great because, you know, yes. even though even though you've uh, the, the ones that you're closest to have yeah. just sort of shunned you completely, you go, yeah. oh, well, I've got... I've got my second round off. Well, 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 there you go. See, that's the that's a big family for you. Yeah, um, that was pretty handy, wasn't it? Yeah, indeed. Um, and in fact, I've got a lot to thank this elder sister for. And my this other, is Millie, is it? Millie, yes. Yeah. Um, so, and also Qantas. I'll give a plug for Qantas right now. They they had this wonderful new offer um, of if you were under twenty six and if you were an Australian citizen, you could get this really cheap airfare. To England. And I wasn't an Australian citizen even then, so I quickly got my citizenship and I managed to fly out, you know, just before my 26th birthday. I'd, and when you think about it, it was only like six to eight months since I left the exclusive right. brethren. Yeah, that's wow. not long, is it? Not, that's not long to get your to shit get my together. together. <laughs> that's really good, Joy. <laughs> but again, it's a deadline, isn't it? You're, you're deadline-driven. You're deadline-driven because oh, yeah, you think, oh, my God, this is, Qantas is only going to give me this time, 26. I've, yeah, got yeah, to, yeah. I've got to do it now. Exactly. And then I started to be driven to prove a point to the world. And I reckon I had a big chip on my shoulder for years. I reckon I had to prove to the world that, well, in the beginning I thought I was a sinner and, you know, and it was going to England so soon after that meeting my family over there. They came to meet me at the airport, all three of them, and there's partners and, and other friends. Wonderful moment and um, I, I felt, yeah, it just felt wonderful. And then my sister advised me to read Animal Farm because I totally thought 
you know, that I was wrong, that the Brethren writer wasn't good enough for them. I read Animal Farm and suddenly I realised it was like describing the Brethren. As I turned the pages, I thought, wait a minute, that was them. You know, that means that, so that means they can't be all right and I'm all wrong. There must be something wrong with them. And and so I started the journey of knowing that I had escaped from, well, I actually believe I escaped from an evil sect. Mm. Um, I actually realised that I had a lucky escape. It might have been driven for wanting to be worldly. It might have been driven from uh, the point of view I'm not, you know, good enough. But in actual fact, it was a it was a it was a miracle, and I was able then, you know, just to go through life. But there was many things I needed to prove. But it also led to crazy things, like getting married to somebody I met on a train a few weeks later, you know, because I thought, oh, you know, oh yeah, I'm gonna prove I can get married, you know, you know, and that lasted all of three months. But did mm. but yeah, well, good on you. <laughs> but did you also think? I don't know. I, I just wonder if because. The measure you had to take was so extreme. Yes. And the consequences were so devastating for so many people. Yes. You just had to make whatever you did on the outside worthwhile, that you couldn't be complacent, that you couldn't just coast through life, that you had to actually embrace it. Yes. And I'd also, in doing that, was getting that monkey off my back that... um, Look, God had striped me dead. That was the main thing. Like, you thought you were going to hell, right? Mm. And I had to get that monkey off my back. And I thought if I could prove myself, if I could make a go of life, you know, uh, achieve things like education and a good job and getting married and all this sort of thing, well, I would prove that I was an okay person. But I guess it wouldn't be hard to realise along with that I believed Obviously, there were daily reminders of the family I'd left behind. Yeah. That was hard. Um, yeah, even though I was having a good time and being successful, having a good job, getting a degree and those sorts of things from uni that I never dreamt, dreamt I would. Um, yeah, there were... It, what, you didn't have to scratch the surface very far and there'd be reminders of the family I'd, I'd left behind, especially my mother, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the times, because you went on, okay, you, you you had quite a few dalliances. You had a fantastic time yeah. travelling around uh, Europe and the yes. UK for a few yeah. months yes. in your little yeah. red, red Mini Cooper. Yeah, yeah, Red Mini Cooper. Yeah. Oh. It, sounds, it sounds so adventurous <laughs> for someone who had grown up in such a controlling cult to... In under a year later, be hooning around <laughs> Europe in a little red mini that they'd bought themselves. It just sounds well, so we, wow! You didn't muck around. It's you put a good spin on it. <laughs> um, oh well, I just thought I just want to do what everybody else was doing. Mm. You know, I always felt I'd missed out on a lot. I know, but I just had a great time. Yeah, I did. Yeah, but you came back. So you came back to Australia then. After, yes. It was only it was only a few months. Actually, it was only a few months. I thought I'd left forever then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I suddenly realised I was missing Australia per se. And even though the only family I had was in England, 
and I was coming back completely on my own again. I still came back. Oh, my boss had kept my job open for the land company, so I knew I had a job to go to. And I just thought, oh, I'd flat share and I'd make a life for myself. Which you did. Yeah. Which you did. You mm. made a, from, from your book, you made a wonderful <laughs> life. And the 70s just sounded like living with your girlfriends in Neutral Bay just oh. sounded like you had such a fantastic time. So much fun. Wonderful. You then uh, had your son. Yes. You eventually got married again to someone who you hadn't met on a train. <laughs> got your degree and your master's. and mm. So you achieved so much joy. So, But as you say, there were constant reminders of what you had left behind, what you had had to sacrifice to have this life. And uh, I really did want to touch on your mum because I find it... Um, Oh, I, I can't even um, imagine what that must have been like. And so after you had your son, you went back to visit your mum, didn't you? And would you mind explaining that situation, how that came about? Well, we're going back to uh, speaking about a cult as such. The traumatic effect that there teachings and edicts have, have have had you know on so many families including my own the fact that I'd left is sort of, of a bit part in that in that background it was still playing out with my mother and father at home and, and the rest of the family when my son was born I decided I must tell them and amazingly enough I think he was just perhaps a few days old and I, I had to ring and tell my mother. And I risked her hanging up in my ear. I had tried to ring some of my brothers and sisters from time, and they have to hang up in your ear. I, I guess I, you knew that, so you're wasting your time. But she didn't hang up in my ear. I said, Mum, I want to tell you, I've had a son. And she said, he will be a great comfort to you and hung up the phone. And she could have said anything else, but she said the perfect thing. And I thought, that's mum. You know, I mean, with all the trauma, with all everything, your mother finds the right words to say. Anyway, then a few years later, not many years, when my son was just little, my father got into trouble with the brethren again because he disagreed with the world leader. Good on him. Then one day the phone rang and he said, Joy, he said, They've taken mum. They've taken her from me. And uh, so I said, did she go of her own free will? And he couldn't answer that. And, and then he got the police. He said, and, and so the police came around and she came back. But they explained to her she would have to leave of her own free will. So eventually she went and she went and lived with with my brother um, at Kellyville somewhere. Um, because they'd excommunicated my father. Now, my mother, after 50, 60 years of marriage, would have to put the brethren first. Now, peop only people know that who have been in, in there or have been in a cult. They would know, that for whatever the love for her husband, whatever the years meant, the brethren were right. Because I know that because I thought they were right when I left. So she would have left knowing she was right in the eyes of God, in her mind. And my father was just traumatised. And he asked me 
you know, to bring in some food and this sort of thing. Because uh, isn't it remarkable? There is youngest child who'd been wayward and who'd broken his heart for leaving the brethren. I was the only one that was able to do anything for him. You know, it's ironical, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And the sad thing is, I remember in the very early weeks that I took him some food and I knocked on his side gate and a brethren car went past. This is what they were like. My dad and I looked at each other and we knew he had no chance of getting back in to the brethren because they had seen me, an excommunicated person, delivering a meal to my father. But we both knew it. It was no doubt. And that's the strange thing. That would seem strange to outsiders, I think. Um, but, you know, why didn't his other children, his other children couldn't come and give him a meal because they were in and he, he was excommunicated. Um, but I was withdrawn from, I was excommunicated, so I had less right to go and see, but no one else would have helped him. Mm. So it, it, that's, that's the, you know, just how screwed up they were. That's how screwed up their teachings were. And so I felt I had some sort of responsibility towards him from then on. He never got, all he wanted to do was get back to the brethren so I could get back to my mother. So so your mum had been taken from their their home. Yes, yeah, by their the shared home. Yes, that's right. To uh, your brother's house yes, in that's Kellyville. Right. So yes. he was living by himself Absolutely. In, the, in the family home. That's right. So what happened then with uh, you and your mum? Well, I, I, you know, could have nothing to do with, with my mother um, um, and because she was in the Brethren. I couldn't say anything. All I could do was sort of try and make life a bit comforting for my father, like visiting him and this sort of thing. But he was a very, very religious man anyway, of course. Like he hadn't lost his Christianity or he just lost everything he ever knew mm. by being excommunicated, but he didn't agree with the world leader and good on him. He had the courage of his convictions. He loved my mother and he had all his family, all his grandchildren, everything he'd ever known. So you don't have anyone in the outside world, you see. You have no friends in the outside world. So he was totally bereft by being excommunicated. But can I just put in here that he was in fact proven right? That world leader was a corrupt, evil man that ruined so many families. And you know, and my dad had seen seen through that. But he was a nobody, yeah. <laughs> Mr. N for nobody, Mr. Nason. Um, and so he ended up alone. So I just sort of did what I could for him in his remaining few years. But all he wanted to, was to see my mother. It became an obsession and the brethren were so cruel that, that they um, uh, returned letters to him and, and with a solicitor's letter not to contact my mother anymore. So he couldn't even write to her. And when he had a stroke, the matron of the home where I'd had to uh, get him into rang my mother's because she felt she should let her know. And I don't know who answered the phone, whether it was my mother herself or my brother or whatever, all they said was, you've done your duty and hung up the phone. That was the response to being told that, that her husband was dying. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, and when I came in the room to see him, he lost all power of speech, but he looked at me coming in the room and he looked straight past me to the door. I absolutely know he was expecting my mother to walk in the room. I absolutely know. So your dad died without ever having the opportunity to see your mother again, yeah. which is so tragic, Joy. 
But his death did spur you on to see your mother again, didn't it? Um, yes, it was after my father had died and I decided that I had to put things right with my mother before she died. <laughs> I decided that I had to. The last time I'd seen her, literally, was that day all those years before, what, 20 years before, uh, when she was a wizened-up prune in the front door of, of our home. And I decided I had to see her face-to-face. So I drove to the house in Kellyville where I knew she was living with my little boy, he was just holding his hand, and we went to the door and knocked at the door. And there was a fly screen door and the big door. And someone called out from inside, who's there? And I said, it's Joy, I want to see my mother. And there's this terrific silence and then, you know, faint voices, muttered voices, we can't let you in. Um, You know, go away. So I stood there. I said, you must let me. And I started beating. I think I got a bit hysterical as all of, you know, I said, I want to see my mother. I need to see my mother. And then I heard, then my mother came to the door on the inside, on this wooden door. I couldn't see if I could hear her. And she said, you know, I can't see you. Go and get right with God. And I stood there and I thought, I'm not going to have gone to all this trouble. I'm not going to be here on this doorstep and not see her. And I saw the door and the fly screen door. And I suddenly remembered that they had this rule not um, not to open the door to, to a stranger, to a worldly person or especially someone that was, was excommunicated. So um, I suddenly thought there's two doors. There's the wooden door and there's the fly screen door that's closed. And I said, Mum, there's still a closed door. Yeah, I said, there's still a closed door. I said, you can open that. The, the wooden door and the fly screen door will still be closed. And she did. She opened the door. And it was just amazing. I had all these things. I'd been semi-hysterical. Um, and um, I just wanted to say, all oh, those bastards, those bastard brethren, those bastard people are doing this, to not letting me see my mother, you know, all those things. I was full of rage. She opened the door and I looked at her and everything fell away, just totally. And I just looked at her and I just just said, I love you, Mum. And then came, she mouthed, I know. How can you ever forget this? Of course you can't. Mouthed, I know. Then she said out loud, go and get right with God and take your son. And he's just... Looking, looking wide-eyed and holding on my hand. He couldn't, he had no clue what's going on. He was about three <laughs> at the time. And I just turned and walked away. But I'd seen her. And, and, you know, that stayed with me. Sorry, I got a bit emotional there. But, yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah, know, when you think <clears throat> back. Um, yeah, so, so I went away. Yeah, and, and life went on. But life, well, life did go on quite happily by all accounts, but that wasn't the last time... Uh, you'd see your mum, was it? The next time, I remember clearly, she was 83. I'm not too sure what um, what precipitated this decision of mine. Uh, Anthony, my son, was at school at this time, so a few years had gone by. I thought, right, I am going to have a conversation with my mother. Now, to arrange that in an exclusive brethren situation, that was hard. 
Do you think what I, I didn't was hard? That was hard because I had to use the right words, the right brethren speak, which I remembered to, in fact, I'll, I'll admit to it now, con these elders that I wanted to put things right. Uh, you know, and uh, I'm not too sure whether I went as far as to say that, you know, I wanted to put things right with God. I don't yeah. know whether yeah. I went that far, but I certainly went far enough to use brethren speak that they arranged for an interview. I was allowed to come for a, to my brother's house for a visit with my mother and that was amazing. Um, I remember going there at the appointed time and I took Anthony with me, my son, and uh, I think my sister-in-law opened the door, had not seen, you know, for what, however many years, and um, and I had no contact because it was absolutely no contact in the intervening years. And I remember walking through and there there was these elders, two or three of them, dotted in the in the living room. There was my mother sitting on this big easy chair. There was my sister-in-law and maybe my brother in the background and I walked through and I sat on a chair right in front of her and I looked around and I realised they weren't going to leave me alone for one minute. Mm. And you know what? They all melted away. I was just with my mother and I held her hand. She held mine. And I said to her, Mum, I just want you to know I've never blamed you for anything. I said, I was the one that left. I did it of my own free will. I said, you, I know that you were right, that you believed in the brethren and in God and what you were doing is right. And I just want to let you know that I've never blamed you for anything and I wanted to put things right with you, uh, you know, now. And she was a great one. She always was, was a great one. She used to have a saying, let the sun not set on your anger, something like that. And I said, you know, no unfinished business. And I've, all ca- I've always carried that with, with me, still got that with me. I don't like unfinished business. And you know what? I went away and everything was okay and she was 83 then. I never heard another word about it till she died at age 91 and I heard about that from England. Mm-hmm. My sister in England had heard in a roundabout way that my mother had died. And the extraordinary thing is that I knew I, I couldn't go to the funeral, I didn't. I knew where she had moved to another brother in Wagga at this stage and I tried to get information about the, the funeral. So I rang my brother and he answered and I recognised his voice and I said, oh, it's Joy here. Is it true my mother died? And he said, what is your particular interest in this matter? And I just, he just hung up the phone. I hung up the phone and you couldn't continue. You know, that very night is the only time I have had to believe in the supernatural. I definitely do not believe in the supernatural. <laughs> I don't believe in any, any fairy stories. I think God's a fairy story. But that night, there is no doubt she came to me in a dream, must have been. But it was as real as you standing there, mm. Paul, as real. She was like flesh and blood with a big smile and she said, it's okay. And then she disappeared. 
So, so my point is the brethren had never broken that bond. My point is however fucked up your family has been, whatever anyone's done to it, if, you know, actually love, isn't it? It, it's love is greater than hate, isn't it? Um, my belief is that if you're comfortable in your own skin, I eventually came to it. No, I'm okay. I felt okay. So nobody can really do anything to you mm. um, if you feel okay about yourself. Well, look, not only that. I mean, I just think the reason you can feel so good about yourself is that you have tried to put things right. You've done as much as you can do. Haven't you? Oh, no, I'll accept your compliment about trying to put things right. Yeah, I, yeah, I reckon I did try to. Yeah, I did try to mm. um, put things right with people. That's true. And speaking of putting things right, there's your current husband, or current husband makes it sound very temporary, your husband Peter. Yes. How long have you two been married now? 20 years. 20 years. Well, he, right. he can he can, uh, he can can take credit for the smile on your face today then, Joy. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's probably a reason why uh, I can look back now and, um, you know, and, and think I've had a really fortunate life. Well, well done, Peter. And, and on a final note, um, uh, you mentioned in those first few weeks after you left the Brethren and your sister had come along with the newborn baby and said, here's the nephew you'll never see again. Yeah, There's yeah. quite a poetic conclusion to that story as well, isn't there, Joy? Yes, Quite a few years later, I got a call. This is Michael. Michael? Yes, I've left the brethren. Can I come and see you? And I said, Michael, how old are you? And he said, 16. And I immediately thought, oh, that's too young. So he came to see me and I looked at him. I said, Michael, please go back. Please think about going back to your family. Wait till you're older. Complete your education. I said, I think you're too young to make it in this world. He said, but you have, he said to me. Anyway, he didn't take any notice of me. He didn't go back to the brethren. He didn't go back to his family. And he proved me wrong. He's had a good life. uh, And I think I've got, I think there's another six nieces and nephews over the time that left. And one of the most amazing ones was my niece Again, the phone call, I've left the breath, and I think, oh, God, they found me, you know. And, and we arranged to meet in Melbourne, and she proceeded to give me a list. I had no less than 50 nieces and nephews in the exclusive breath that I'd never never knew about or never seen. Wow. Yeah. But you've still got a few of them over the wall, though, Joy. I have still got a few of them over the wall. It's been so wonderful for you to come along and share your story, and I can't tell you enough again how much I've loved your book. Thanks, so, Paul. thank you so much again for coming and chatting to thank us. Thank you, Paul. I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Fucked Up Family enough to subscribe, share or like. And remember, if you have your own fucked up family story you'd like to share, contact us through our Facebook page. Until next time on My Fucked Up Family.